Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Every Voice with Terrence McKnight on WQXR. It's a radio special that looks at the representation of blackness in Verdi's opera Otello. Growing up, I played two instruments, trumpet and piano. And eventually, both instruments led me to the experience of classical music. Going to hear the symphony orchestra was a school outing, but later became a very nice date. But going to an opera felt like something that was out of my league. But that changed when I got to college. As a music major in college, I met professors and artists who performed opera and who played in the orchestra pits. And that closeness to the art form allowed me to feel more comfortable traversing the world of opera on my own and even introducing my friends to this majestical form of entertainment. One evening, I was invited to see an opera. We went to see Otello at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York. I knew a little bit about Shakespeare's play because Paul Robeson and James Earl Jones played the role, and I looked up to these men. But I also knew that Otello was a racial minority in the play and opera, so I walked into the Met already on edge, even though the Met had just recently banned the use of black base painting. So I'm wondering, okay, how badly am I going to feel slighted and stereotyped tonight as a black man? Ten minutes into the opera, there it was. Thick lipped savage. I see in the subtitles. I hate the more. Yikes. I felt myself sliding down into my seat as everyone else around me seemed so comfortable and seemingly pleased and caught up in the sound of Verdi's orchestral writing and the voices on stage.
I saw Otello as a representation of myself, even though the singer that evening was Caucasian. Othello. 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 First and foremost, he's a Moor. This is Lemmy Pulliam, a tenor who sings the role of Othello. Despite being a celebrated war hero in, in general, Othello is a man that, even throughout all that celebration, is still alone. My understanding of Othello is a one that is gullible. Bass Kevin Maynard. And can be fooled easily. His ego can be easily bruised. This is a character who um, faces a unique kind of human dilemma. Professor UZ Brown Jr. Jealousy is something that plagues this man, and it increases because of the character like Iago, this dark figure, is constantly pumping him with all kinds of reasons to become more intensely jealous. Othello by Giuseppe Verdi is based on Othello, a 1604 play by William Shakespeare. And in both the play and the opera, Othello, or Othello, is a celebrated general who elopes with the Venetian senator's daughter, Desdemona.
and that's when things fall apart for him. Mr. Otello didn't have many good options, but he drank all the Kool-Aid of Western European civilization. He went by a Venetian name, denounced Islam, got himself baptized as a Christian, married a Venetian woman, and celebrated the murder of Muslims. Given all those things, he thought he'd be accepted into society. But Shakespeare couldn't write that into the play. When he began writing Othello, Shakespeare worked for Queen Elizabeth I, and her entertainment had to match her politics and social economic agenda. At the end of the 16th and start of the 17th centuries, Elizabeth I issued a number of proclamations to rid England of black people. This one came in 1601, just two or three years before the first performance of Othello. In 1601, Elizabeth issued a proclamation in which she declared herself highly discontented to understand the great numbers of Nagars and Blackamoors, which, as she is informed, are crept into this realm, who are fostered and relieved, i.e. fed, here to the great annoyance of her own liege people that want the relief, food, which those people consume as also for that most of them are infidels, having no understanding of Christ or his gospel. Working for Queen Elizabeth, Shakespeare wasn't about to write a play about the glory of the Moors. He had to portray them in keeping with her agenda. And given that, there weren't many good outcomes for Africans in her realm, including the one on her stage. I knew some of this going into the Met that night. I certainly knew that when Verdi's Otello reached America in 1887, Jim Crow laws were in effect, and the image of the black brute was rampant around the country. Seeking a Black Brute, Chattanooga, Tennessee, April 11. News comes from Iuka, Mississippi, that 500 people are armed and scouring the country in search of a Negro named Johnson, who on Thursday night entered the house of James Thompson during his absence and brutally assaulted his wife. The lady is 60 years old and will probably die of the shock and injuries received at the hands of the brute. Johnson will be hanged by the excited people if caught. The New York Times, published April 12, 1885. I'm rarely in the mood for seeing discrimination and violence set to beautiful music, especially when I feel kinship towards the victims. But Otello is such a well-loved story. I went with the hopes of finding a deeper understanding of what I've been missing. After the opera, I spoke to folks who were just radiating from the experience. And I thought, what am I missing? 
Years later, I called a friend about it, the legendary opera and theater director, Peter Sellers. I called him to get his take on Othello. Shakespeare was writing for an audience at that moment. He was writing this topic because they were right in the teeth of colonialism. Colonialism was being invented in their generation. And so, yes, they were seeing African people coming back on ships and stuff. So, yes, they were dealing with it very directly. And it's a very alive topic. Othello is a very strange animal. I can't stand that play. I hated it for years. And I got into a huge, huge, huge argument with Toni Morrison. We spent three and a half hours one day just going around about it. Toni Morrison, the late writer and author and scholar who received the Nobel Prize in Literature, and the Medal of Freedom in 2012. She said, no, it's not about him, it's about Iago. My name is Iago, come on. I know how to talk back to him, I know how to, to manipulate him, but I also know how to make him look better than he actually is. He's a facade of himself, he looks good, but it's not good, it's nonsense. Baritone Thomas Hampson in character as Iago, talking about his boss, Otello. He's an actor. He acts like such a powerful guy. I mean, he's got this trophy wife, and he just simply puts yes-men around him all the time. He doesn't actually have somebody of competence like me because I'm a, I'm a, tough, I'm a tough handle. I got into a huge argument with Toni Morrison, and she said, this is the language they are still using <laughs> to promote fascism in this country. This is the language they are still using, the suggestion, the not upfront, the, the coded racist language. In fact... All of the racism is only, you know, made possible by a complicity of silence and for people who know perfectly well what the truth is and are not going to say it in public. Despite being a celebrated war hero in, in general, he's a man that, even through all, all that celebration, is still alone. I think of it, maybe there was a little bit of animosity because... Iago, as a, a true Venetian, he was having to take orders from someone he felt was inferior to him. easy for people to think that Iago's evilness is because he's been overlooked 
or he's missed his promotion. But in fact, that's not why I am evil. I am the embodiment of evil. Baritone Thomas Hampson in character as Iago. If we are supposedly born of an image of God, then I can only come from a vile and angry God. And my destiny is to exert and exercise that vileness to anyone in my path. I simply do not believe on any level the goodness of humankind. As far as I know, because I am not trained in the theater of war. Soprano Mary Beth Diggle in character as Desdemona, Otello's wife. I was not allowed to do this, to be part of this, to have thoughts about this. But I can sense that Iago is damaged from the moment I see him. I think you just have to look from human to human and see that there is someone here around my husband for ulterior motives other than loyalty and friendship and camaraderie. The only thing that's kind of handy about Desdemona is that she's pretty naive, so she's a very useful tool to really get inside of Othello's head because he's besotted. He doesn't he doesn't know which way's up when she's around. He just he'll do anything. So this isn't about Desdemona. This is about Othello. He just he's just at the core a weak human being, and that's my lunch. I don't trust him. I'm not allowed to say that I don't trust him. No one believes me when I say that I don't trust him. And maybe even no one cares when I say that I don't trust him. But I see from a distance what what is happening. I see how he is manipulating the situation, how he's trying to manipulate my husband. And I also see how he is manipulating his own wife, my maid, Emilia. And what is there to do as a female at this point in time? What is there what is there that I could ever say or do to, to change a man's mind in this uh, time period? Not much. Soprano and actress 
Mary Beth Diggle knows all about Desdemona. She's played the role of Desdemona in Shakespeare's play. She's sung the role of Desdemona in Verdi's opera. And she's played the role of Desdemona in Desdemona by Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison put more flesh on these characters, more humanity um, than just the kind of hyper-sensationalism that opera uh, tends to invoke through music. Um, we get to understand their histories, we get to understand their, their pasts, their decision-making, their relationships, um, the intricate network that, that ultimately brought them together, um, gave them a space to share love, gave them space also to share chaos. And we get to have conversations about race and sex and gender and formalities and society and all the actually normal questions we have to face as adults. Especially today, we get to answer these questions more deeply.
listening to Every Voice with Terrence McKnight, a radio special from WQXR in New York, looking at the representation of blackness in Verdi's Otello. Oh, when we come back, more from Mary Beth Diggle as Desdemona, more from Thomas Hampson as Iago, more from Peter Sellers, more about Otello, and you'll hear why I walk around with a black handkerchief. Hey, I'm Peter Sellers, and you're listening to Every Voice with the one and only Terrence McKnight. Movies, music, celebrities making bad choices. Crooked Media's weekly podcast, Keep It, has it all. 
Each week, culture experts Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel unpack the latest controversies, praise character actress appreciation, and share all the gossip in a week. Expect bold and unique queer commentary, award show grievances, and iconic guests like Billy Porter, Michelle Yeoh, Ariana DeBose, and Cheryl Lee Ralph. New episodes of Keep It drop every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. First and foremost, he's a Moor. The Moors brought a robust culture, science, and industry to Europe. They were in that region now known as Spain for about 800 years. And they developed elaborate irrigation systems. They manufactured wool, cotton, silks, glass. They built 70 libraries, mosques that are still standing. They brought sugar cane, lemons, figs, peaches. You like guitars? They brought them. You like violins? They brought those too. Well, they brought the precursor to the violin, the lute. And their education system was so impressive, how it was available for so many of their citizens. And this was the case until they were expelled from Spain by the Christians in the late 15th century. Otello was a Moor, and because his heritage became threatening in Western culture, he was forced to disown and disguise it. But he didn't hide it from the one person he loved and the one person that loved him. It was his African heritage. As strange as it might seem, it was that heritage that connected him to Desdemona. Othello walked through the door and I saw him for the first time. Part of me felt like I was coming home to something because I was not actually raised by my mother. I was raised by Barbary.
Desdemona's parents, because they were so busy, brought in an African woman to raise their daughter. Desdemona, too young to be jaded by the propaganda of race, saw beauty in this woman. She loved her. And when she met Otello, because of that shared heritage, she forged a connection with him because she lived separate from the heritage of her biological family. I don't think this decision had anything to do with my father. In fact, I think it was partially to say something inadvertently to my both of my parents. To say, in fact, you have borne me into this lifestyle of being a senator's daughter and the expectations of this um, don't include getting to know who I am deeply at all. Luckily, I had contact with cultures from Africa, having had uh, a nanny from Africa named Barbary, who Shakespeare calls Barbary, which means Africa. <laughs> and I think because I had a doorway into this completely different world, that introduced me to feeling loved deeply for the first time, feeling seen, um, feeling there were other ways of expressing myself, feeling there were, that the world was much bigger than this political landscape of Venice that I grew up in.
My husband is the most complete person I've ever met. He has lived so many different lives. I have the feeling he has had experiences that I will never have. level of admiration and his intoxicating personality as, as an example of virtuous humanity needs to stop. He gets duped by some bullshit with a, with a handkerchief. Are you kidding me? It looks good, but it's not good. This condescending attitude of Iago towards Otello reminds me and reminded Toni Morrison of the rhetoric we all heard about the prospect and audacity of black leadership in 2008. Maybe you remember that. In the play and the opera, Otello becomes enraged over a handkerchief that he'd given to his wife. Iago, his subordinate and nemesis, convinces his wife, Desdemona's maid, to steal the handkerchief and plant it on another man to give the impression that Desdemona was having an affair. When Otello discovered the handkerchief missing, he lost control. But this was no ordinary white handkerchief. This handkerchief was black and symbolic. In the day of Shakespeare, to dye clothing black was very difficult and precious. And the way they did it was by dyeing the fabric together with mummified bodies. And 
in England in the 16th century, when they ran out of mummified bodies, they would mummify enslaved people's bodies. And so we come to understand in the play of Toni Morrison that Othello receives this handkerchief from the woman who raised him, which was dyed black. So the handkerchief that Othello becomes so enraged about was a black handkerchief that was connected to his heritage that publicly he had to distance himself from in order to live in Venetian society. So that further explains why he was so upset about this handkerchief. Yes, if you play it as a white handkerchief, yes. And if it's a black handkerchief, then it really is a, a slap in the face, of course, because it is such a personal item for him. It's not just a handkerchief. It's not just a, a thing to wipe your brow. It has familial, historical value, and also tells a lot about the personal past of his race. But over the years, when you go to a performance of Othello today, the handkerchief is, is white. And... I think it's so fascinating because it, it, it's literally whitewashing the most important piece of evidence. And it is literally whitewashing <laughs> Othello's body. I, I feel the handkerchief is related to Othello. And originally, I think he knows the meaning of this black piece of fabric. And it would have been performed in Shakespeare's day as a black handkerchief. Which maybe comes back to your question about... Shakespeare's political wishes to speak about race, I guess we'll never know. But I think it's important to say that he understood the significance of this handkerchief being black. And over the years of European directors directing this piece, the handkerchief became Desdemona's body by becoming white and washed away the history with it, this piece of history. The story of Desdemona's connection to Africa and Otello and the black handkerchief was revealed in a 2011 play called Desdemona by Toni Morrison. That play was the result of her heated conversation with Peter Sellers about Shakespeare's Othello. I said to her, you know, Tony, there's just too much missing from this play. I need you to write a play called Desdemona that goes next to Othello and is in dialogue with it. Tony did write that play, and the missing material, for one thing, was women. I learned that it is okay to be vocal about women's issues. It's okay to be vocal about violence. It's okay to be vocal about questions about your position in, in, in society, in life. And I have to admit, um, I did not understand that there was even a space for me earlier than five years ago, earlier than the Me Too movement.
Tony made the encounter with all the women in the play who are censored every minute and who are hardly ever saying what they think or know. One of the most beautiful things in the Verdi opera is the Willow Song. And the Willow Song is actually where we began working on Shakespeare's play because Desdemona has a little speech before their bedroom scene in Shakespeare. And she says, oh, you know, this song, I can't get out of my head all day. It's this really sad song. And I learned it from my mother's maid, Barbary, who died singing it. Which gives you a set of triggers, like, excuse me? Like somebody else died of heartbreak? Somebody else died of the violence of somebody just hating you? Somebody else died singing this song? Barbary, of course, is North Africa.
The Willow Song from Verdi's opera Otello. In the opera, it's sung by Desdemona, who learned it from Barbary, who was her childhood caretaker. The title Willow Song appears in a book for lute that was published in the 16th century. Now remember, the lute was one of those instruments that Moors brought with them to Spain during their 800-year residency. This radio special is about the representation of Blackness in Verdi's Otello, an opera I walked into nervously years ago and walked out disturbed by the depiction of the Moor as an irrational murderer. Through the process of producing this podcast and this radio special, through conversations with Peter Sellers, Thomas Hampson, Lemmy Pulliam, Musi Brown Jr., Kevin Maynard, Sylvia McNair, and Mary Beth Diggle, and learning about Toni Morrison's play Desdemona. I now have a deeper understanding of Shakespeare's play and Verdi's opera. And regardless what choices the next director makes about the play or the opera, for me, Otello's full humanity is no longer invisible. His rich heritage is no longer invisible. His handkerchief, just like mine, will be black. When we're talking about race in opera, you know, they say that sunshine is the best disinfectant possible. We are pulling these issues out from the shadows. We're taking them out from underneath the rug where they've kind of been buried hidden. We need to bring this out into the light. Look at it. Talk about it. Which is what you're doing.
You're listening to Every Voice with Terrence McKnight, a radio special from WQXR in New York, looking at the representation of blackness in Verdi's Otello. Thanks to everyone who joined us on Otello. Mary Beth Daigle, Thomas Hampson, Peter Sellers, our main man, Lemmy Pulliam, Kevin Maynard, Dr. Yuzi Brown Jr., and Miss Sylvia McNair. And a special thank you to the late Tony Morrison for helping us all to get to a deeper understanding of Otello and his humanity. Every Voice with Terrence McKnight was written and produced by Terrence McKnight, David Norville, and Tony Phillips. Our research team includes Ariel Elizabeth Davis, Pranati Diwakar, Ian George, and Jazz Ogist. This episode, sound design and engineering is by Sapir Rosenblatt, and our original music is composed by Brother Jeremy Thomas, featuring Brother Tito Sampa on percussion and vocals. Our project manager is Natalia Ramirez, and our executive producer is Tony Phillips. The executive producer for WQXR Podcast is Elizabeth Nanamaker, and Ed Yim is the chief content officer at WQXR. This project is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts. You can find more information on the web at arts.gov. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to rate it. Rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'm Terrence McKnight. I'll see you next time.